0: Be from first Corinthians uh, chapter ten verse thirteen. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may not be able to bear it that ye may be able to bear it. Psalm 40 strength, verse 1, tells us that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help. In trouble. Beth Moore uses an analogy of the will of God being a strong fortress. When we are within the will of God, the enemy has no access to hurt us. When we are safely within those strong, unshakable walls of God's revealed will, the enemy has to wait outside and can't even touch us. But the doors of the castle are open and the gangplank is down. And we have freedom to come and go and into, go into the countryside beyond. Once we are outside of God's will, we are vulnerable. We're vulnerable to be captured, tortured, and enslaved. We are always free to make that choice and leave what we know very well is God's will. We are not always free, though, from the consequences of when we go against his will. Those consequences can be very difficult and very, very painful. John 10, verse 10 tells us, our enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That tells us that we live on a battleground and we do have an enemy. While it might be exciting to make forays out of the fortress and into the world, there the devil has at us. The safest place in all the world to be is in the fortress of God's revealed will. We can save ourselves so many trials and so many troubles if we'll just do what he tells us to do. We are completely safe when we're securely tucked behind that strong protective wall that is our Heavenly Father. The devil has to get through him to get to us. And he is a barrier of protection. Well, we are slowly working our way through the Lord's Prayer and learning to use it as a template for our own daily conversation with the Heavenly Father. And this morning, we will unpack the phrase, lead us not into temptation. There are two Bible passages that come to mind when I read this verse. The first is James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Okay, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, this sounds like temptation is, number one, not from God. Do you catch that? He does not tempt anyone. And it also sounds like temptation doesn't only come from out there, but it comes from within, from our own evil desires, that then it's our own evil desires that drag us away and entice us. From our own selfish and fallen human nature, from in here, down deep in the bowels of our fallen state, does temptation come. So we know that one thing. One other thing we know is that Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, this is a really fascinating verse because it says that the Spirit led Jesus to where he would be tempted. So that would indicate that although God never tempts us, sometimes it's within his will that we be tempted, that he wants us to learn from him that we can overcome temptation or to learn the humility that we have to hold on tight for temptation not to suck us in. So sometimes the Spirit can lead us into situations where the devil can have at us. And my question is, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Sometimes he takes us to a place Where we can be harassed. Well, I would like to propose that God allows us to be tempted because, for some of us, unless we are tempted, we will never come to the place where we will realize how dependent we are on God's grace and strength. He wants us to know our own weakness and to understand our vulnerability. When we are tempted, when we are aware of our incapacity to protect ourselves, we press in close and have a relationship where he does the fighting. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That we can just lean in hard and then he holds us fast and does the fighting for us. Jesus taught in John 15 Without me, you can do nothing. And I never can read this verse without saying, so what part of nothing do I not understand? Without him, we can do nothing, especially conquer temptation. If we try to fight in our own strength, I'm sorry to be the deliverer of bad news, but we are whooped every time. And it doesn't usually take very long. Usually the devil takes us out quick. So God allows us to be tempted because he wants us to be in a tight, unbroken, constant communication and communion with him. When we are in the thick of battle, we desperately check back with our general. We ask for marching orders. We ask for strategic information. We want to know how to be careful. We want to see the big picture of the battle so we'll know what's going on. We desperately need a bigger picture than our own perspective. I don't know about you, but I lean hardest into God for his power and strength when my life is hard. When my life is easy, I get pretty satisfied with life and complacent, and I'm not asking for perspective and for protection and for help the way I am when I'm in the middle of a battle. But when we are in an easy phase, we blissfully live for ourselves. If things are going well, we are independent and most often pretty selfish. We don't even consider how much we need God. So I believe God allows temptation because he sees that it can work in our life for good. But he's still in control. He sees that it will help us walk more closely with him, and it will help us hold on tighter, holding his hand. Sometimes God does lead us into temptation, places where we will be tempted. And when we find ourselves there and we say, but wait a minute, I followed you here. Then we need to know that he will use the temptation to help us grow. Or he will use the temptation to help us bless and love and understand someone else that maybe those temptations will make us empathetic, that will make us gentle, will make us humble. Even in the midst of the struggle, the Bible teaches that God is still in control. He controls the pace, the frequency, and the intensity of the temptation that comes at us. Do we believe this? That when we are really having a hard time and the devil is way too close, do we believe that God is still in control? In 1 Corinthians 10.13, this was our scripture for the morning, it says that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So who's in control? Is it the enemy or is it God? It's God who's in control there. But then the next verse is even better because it says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. So that's good to know. Whether we will learn from it or whether we will be broken, God can use it in our life. He only allows the circumstances that will help us. In Luke 22.32, and last time I spoke to you, we used this verse too, is this concept that Jesus tells Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. What does that mean? That means that Satan has to ask before he can touch one of God's people. And that really helps me to understand. Jesus knew Satan was after Peter, and what did Jesus do? He said, but I have prayed for you. When Jesus knows that we're in the middle of temptation, he prays for us. That's what he ever lives to do right now, is to pray for us. Jesus did the praying for Simon when he was in temptation. So, whenever you face an intense wave of temptation, remember we have a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for us. When everything is coming at us that is hard and negative, know that the harder life gets, the harder Jesus prays. So, why does Jesus teach us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, please don't tempt me? Why would we pray that if we already know that he's in control of our temptations? Why did he teach us, lead us not into temptation, as a model for us to pray every day? Could it be that Jesus wants to live with a daily awareness that temptation happens? Do we live that way? With that daily awareness that, yes, this day I will be tempted. He wants us to be completely aware that they are coming. He wants us to power up with him as we have our quiet time. He wants us to focus on God's strength. He wants us to focus on Jesus' compassion and love, and that Jesus is right now before the throne of God praying for us. You know, watch and pray are always tied together. And it says, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. So this seems to me that being aware of temptation and praying for deliverance from it is our part. Jesus is in heaven praying for us when we're tempted, but we need to do some praying too. He wants us to just... Be aware, that's the watch part. And to be um, dependent, that's the pray part. You know, Jesus uses this phrase, watch and pray, many times. And Paul does as well. If you are facing something difficult, what does the Bible tell you to do? Watch and pray. Watch for what God is doing. Watch for him providing a way out and pray, ask for help. Keep checking back in with God as if your life depended on it, because it does. Perhaps this phrase, lead us not into temptation, was included in the Lord's Prayer to urge us always to pray in God's strength, to pray for His grace and strength in our life every single day. So when we know without a doubt that we will be tempted, then we know that today might be the day. If not, It's not if, it's when. This phrase prompts us to pray. I know I'm going to be tempted today, Lord. Help me to depend on you. When I was at school at Auburn Academy, Miss Judy Toop was my favorite teacher. How many of you learned biology or chemistry from Miss Judy Toop. Anybody out there? Man, half of Port Townsend was taught by Miss Toop. It has been such a joy to reconnect with her because she's a frequent guest at the Port Townsend Church. She's a really good friend of Joyce Johnson, our member there. Well, I loved Miss Toop for many reasons. Part of it is I love the created world. I love biology and I found the material that she was presenting to be utterly fascinating. Also, she let me sit when she made her seating chart. She always put me beside the young man that I had a crush on. She knew, isn't that a good teacher? So intuitive and perceptive. Well, I must have been a true nerd because I also loved her because she gave pop quizzes. How many of you love pop quizzes? No? Well, I was a nerd, because my mom would say, as she dropped me off after home leave, don't study so hard. Have fun every day. And don't be afraid to get into trouble. Now, what kind of a mother says those kind of things to her teenage daughter, the mother of a nerd. Well, those quizzes, they were always from the reading assignments or from the lecture of the preceding day or two before. And you know, I never wanted to skip class because I knew if I did, I wouldn't know the answer for the pop quiz. I never skipped my reading because I needed to know what that reading assignment said for that quiz. And you know, I learned consistently, a little bit at a time, day after day after day. And Miss Toop never put a question on her test that hadn't been on the quiz. She never would give a grade for something that she hadn't already let me know whether I knew it or not. She had slowly built her students up to succeed. Miss Toop taught for mastery, and she instilled in us great study habits. You know, she did not give us quizzes to see us fail. She gave us quizzes to help us succeed. God also allows us to be tempted not so we will fail, but so we will succeed. We need to become self-aware and God-aware. We need to ask him for the knowledge of his strength and the knowledge of our weakness. The same Greek word is there for both trials and temptations. It's pyrasmos. And it means either pressure from the outside, like a test or a trial, or desires from the inside, which makes it a temptation. That parasmos is anything that breaks our happy little life. So all kinds of things could be described by pyrasmos. Can you think of some that you experienced this week? trials rightly faced is just a little pressure. And they're harmless, and they actually benefit us and make us stronger. Do we believe that? James chapter 1, verse 4 tells us, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials, same word, parasmos, of many kinds. Now, how many of you consider it pure joy when something's going wrong? Pure joy. Uh, I lost this sermon. I had had written it late into the night about six weeks ago, and when I came to look for it this week, it was not there. That's a trial. You know, what am I going to do now? So um, it had been recorded on Facebook at Port Townsend, and I had to go back and re-listen to myself preaching and copy it down again. Okay, anybody have um, an unpleasant reaction to their COVID shot? That's a trial, especially to sit there and have them give it to you, knowing it's going to make you feel sick. That's a trial. So trials are coming from the outside, but what we do with them from the inside makes it, a temptation. So if I start griping about the government that requires me to have this COVID shot, and I'm, I'm just unhappy, and I'm, that then becomes a temptation. So then the end of this verse, James 1, to 4, 2-4, it says, when we are tried, we have to be perseverant. That means not give up, Right. And so it must finish its work. And what's the end result of facing trials and temptations? That you may be, there's two words there, mature and complete. Okay, I want to be mature and complete. Do I think I'm mature and complete? Not yet. So what is going to get me from immature and incomplete to mature and complete, according to this verse? How do I get from where I'm at to where I want to be? Facing trials, pyrasmos, of many kinds. Okay, trials transition to temptation. And we just need to trust that God knows what he's doing. Our trial is often an invitation for us to become depressed, hostile, angry, resentful, or gossip to talk about the person that's being a pain in our life. Our trials become temptations when we will not submit to God and ask for his strength if we don't watch and pray. So if we face our trial by watching and praying, the trial will make us mature and complete. If we face our trial by giving in and feeling sorry for ourselves and from a self-centered perspective, it will drag us down and drag us into temptation. So think of yourself as a tube of spiritual toothpaste. Are you Crest or Colgate? The pressure is what brings out what's really on the inside, whether we are going to trust God or not. A few weeks ago, when I was uncertain about my work here in Squim to continue, I started looking online at what kind of part-time jobs I could find. One job caught my imagination. There was a part-time position open to test the prototypes of small appliances. I'm on my fourth art, so I thought I would probably qualify. And the pay was good, $25 an hour. That was more than working in pretty much anywhere else that I could find part-time. So my role would be to use the appliance and record how long I used it before it broke and then to notate both the time and the failure mode. Now, I've been married 36 years, and I don't think I have a single appliance that was an original. Do any of you? Well, it depends on how long you've been married, right? If you still have your originals. So I decided I could do this. When all my hours of use revealed the weakest part of the machine, I could write back to the company and send it back to their engineers to do a do-over. They'd have to work on that. I wish that they had done some trialing and some testing with the ice machine on our refrigerator, which has never worked well. So my job was to quantify if it was going to fail and where. Not so that this appliance would be a failure, but so that the design could be fixed. And the rest of the consumers out there wouldn't have to live with the inferior product. So that the brand name would stand for quality. So that that appliance would honor the company name. So God wants us to be aware that we are potentially broken given the amount of heavy use and the right set of circumstances. And because we are potentially broken, he wants us to lean in hard and say, just tell me now. Please, just show me where that temptation is coming from so we can trust him implicitly. We all have flaws and we all have places where we are potentially broken. If you want to know mine, just ask Mark. He's learned never to go on a road trip without snacks for me. Because after about six hours without food, I get grumpy. Right? He's also learned it's not wise not to let me stop to go to the bathroom. Because that also makes me grumpy. Okay, these flaws were not part of God's design. God saw everything that he'd made, and how was it? It was very good. Not just good, but very good. But now we have 6,000 years of sin. Written into our DNA. Did any of you have parents that were sinners? Yeah, you learned how to sin from watching your mom and dad. And after you'd watched your parents for a while, you made friends. Did any of you ever have friends that were sinners? Yeah. So you learned how to sin from your friends as well. And then you married your spouse. Did you ever have a spouse that was a sinner? Ooh, well, we can perfect that one over a lifetime. And then we can turn on our TV or our computer, and we can have the sin in our culture bombard our brain. Meanwhile, we want to be like Jesus. It is imperative that we become aware of the temptations that our enemy has personalized for us. Our enemy has studied human psychology for 6,000 years or more. He has studied us. Every day of our life. He knows where we've blown it. In our past. And his minions have taken record. Just like I would have done. As I tested the appliances. They have recorded the places. Where we have broken. And the situations. That make us vulnerable. And our enemy has all this. In his data bank. Kind of like. Social media has lots of information about each of us in the data bank. Our enemy knows exactly which temptation in which situation is pretty guaranteed to bring us down. He is strategic and he field tests. And most of us are pretty consistent. I'm still tempted by exactly the same things That tempted me at 20 years old. And I keep wishing I'd grow up. Maybe the Lord or the devil could give me some new temptations. We are predictable. And eventually, sin morphs from something that we do once in a while until it's a habit. And then it becomes sin with a capital S, it takes on a life of its own. And we don't even need the enemy anymore because we are addicted and we do it to ourselves. We become addicted and trapped in patterns that have never made us happy and have always left us um, enslaved. So Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I love the answer to that question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Psalm 139 tells us that God knows us so completely that he knows what we think even before we think it. We, however, do not know ourselves so well. So God tests us so we become self-aware. He allows the temptations to hit us so we will get it, that there are places where we are just pre-wired to give in. You know, Mark never took our teenage babysitters home. He let me do it. Um, He didn't want to be tempted, and he didn't want to be accused. He studies with the men, and I study with the women. No exceptions. So part of being aware of where temptations might come is to put up safeguards. You know, if I go to the grocery store and buy ice cream bars... I will have a problem with appetite probably within the day, right? If I don't buy them when I'm in the grocery store, I don't get tempted. And some of us just have to know and put those safeguards in place. But if you've ever fallen into temptation, don't despair. Instead, start asking God for information about what left you vulnerable and to ask for wisdom. And here is a promise found in James. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should what? Ask God, who gives it generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. What most people don't understand is that this amazingly broad and beautiful promise is in the context of the other verse from James 1 about facing trials and temptations. If you lack wisdom while you're being tempted, it says. If you lack wisdom while life is hard, that's when you ask God. And he's not going to scold you for saying, I need help. I can't face this on my own. God promises that he will help us figure out how to be victorious, to how to not be taken out every time. God is smarter than the devil. Do we believe that? Yes, I hope so. God is smarter than the devil. He can take what the devil has intended to ruin us and turn it upside down on its head. And if we will press in and ask for wisdom, he will make us stronger and more dependent and loving of God of Jesus than if that temptation had never happened. We can be stronger at the end than we were at the beginning. But we are helpless unless he helps us. Without his love, and what we have to understand is when he shows us that we are weak, that we are tempted and that we fall to temptation, when he reveals that true condition, that's actually love. That's actually him blessing us in the process. God won't wait till judgment day and say, ah, you're selfish, go away, you can't get in. He's not going to say, oh, you're mean, mean spirit, you can't get in. He's not going to say, I caught you, you're lazy. Instead, he shows us those things all along the way, right? And gives us an opportunity to say, help me. I love what Brother Lawrence says in the book, Practicing the Presence of God. He says, whenever I find that I have sinned, I say to God, unless you help me, I can do no other. Unless you help me, this is who I am, is lazy or mean. And then Brother Lawrence says, and I give it back to him and take no more thought of it. In other words, I trust him to fix what I have just confessed. I trust him to help me to overcome next time. So we can not only ask for wisdom, we can ask for forgiveness. And that's really good to know when we're talking about temptation, right? And the rest of this verse also says we can ask for cleansing. That we can ask him to change our heart because he gives us wisdom, forgiveness, and cleansing. All three very generously when we ask. If we never faced a temptation, we wouldn't know who we really were. But while the devil is celebrating that he's made a sin, God is saying, it's okay, child. I I can help you. I'll show you what went wrong, and I'll give... Give you the strength for next time. And he says, stay close. Stay close to me. So falling into the trap is not the end of the story. And when you find yourself trapped, don't despair. Just call out. Cry out for help. John 10, verses 27 through 28 is a promise that I claim many times. God says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And then it says, anyone who comes along with a bad intent can take them out of my hand. Is that what it says? It says, no one can snatch them out of my hand, and that no one includes the devil himself. Is that good news or what? That is incredibly good news. A temptation that succeeds with you is not the end of the story. It's never the end of the story, no matter how bad that temptation was and how great your fall. It's not the end of the story. When we have flunked a whole string of pop quizzes, we cry out for help, and he gives us private tutoring to say, "Okay." I'm going to help you. So that is exactly what God has been waiting for. Isaiah 30 says he longs to be gracious to us. He's just waiting for us to say, I need help. And he rises up to show you compassion. Before you even start praying, he already is off the throne and leaning over to say, I know you're struggling, child. I'm here to help. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. How gracious he will be. So when you find yourself tempted, start crying, help. And he's right there. Ask God. So, after we have fallen into temptation, we are exhausted and discouraged. What do we do then? Well, and I say scripture, scripture, and more scripture. Take all those promises about forgiveness and memorize them. Take music, take nature, forest bathe. Get out into what he's created and take lots of long naps. When you have been vulnerable, when you have failed, let God heal your heart and know that he loves you still. He will hold you fast. He will. All right? We are in the grasp of a God who will not let go. We have a Savior who went head-to-head with our enemy, and he won. We know the end of the story. Jesus wins. We know that. He struggled, and he faced every temptation we will ever face, And he never sinned. It cost Jesus to be tempted because none of us have struggled so hard that we sweat blood. So if you think your temptations are too much for you, remember what Jesus did. And then in Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18, it says, He is a merciful and faithful high priest because he was tempted just like we are. Because he suffered being tempted, he is able to help. He didn't give in, and he didn't give up. Instead, he gave himself. That's why he can help. And when I sin, I imagine Jesus going to the Father's throne and stretching out his arms, and saying, my blood, my blood, Father. I died for Colette. And I hear the Father say, "Okay, I accept your sacrifice. She can come with you. That's what we need to remember when we have been tempted and we have not succeeded. Is Jesus paid for that with his own blood? And it doesn't mean that you're ruined and God will never forgive you. I once read of a woman who said she was worried that she had ruined God's plans for her life, that she had sinned too much. And God's answer to her was, oh, my child, you're not that powerful. I am more powerful still. You can't ruin my plans because I'm going to to be there to pick up the pieces. So Romans 5, verse 19, tells us that by the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. And you remember the Hebrews passage says, he was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Because he did it right that he faced temptation in one, he is able to stand in our place. We can call for help. And Jesus applies his own merits. He was tempted beyond whatever any of us will face. Can you imagine having the power to just think it and vaporize your enemies? You know, I would not want that power because there would be some people vaporized. It would be horrible. But can you imagine having that power and then letting them whip you to a bloody pulp and spit in your face and taunt you and mock you? He was tempted in ways you or I will never be tempted. How Can you imagine having the foreknowledge to know what Good Friday would bring and yet setting your face resolutely toward Jerusalem? How can we expect, as his children, to never have a trial and never have a temptation? Hebrews 4, verse 5 tells us that temptation is not sin. That Jesus was tempted more than anyone else. That means we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And I like the King James here actually better because it uses that amazing word, Boldly, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can get the help we need when we are tempted because Jesus understands he's been tempted too. He gets it. And as we obtain mercy, we also obtain grace. While we are being tempted, there is mercy and grace. Before we are tempted, there is mercy and grace. And after we are tempted, There is mercy and grace, whether or not we succeed. That's what the Bible says. There is mercy and grace every time we are tempted. We need to be reminded that he still loves us, and the story isn't over yet. Over and over. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13, here we have that same word, Parasmos, about temptation, it says God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Okay, he won't let it be too hard. This is not a promise that he won't give you more than you can handle. This does not mean that God knows we are wimps, so he'll carry around on a soft pillow and make sure nothing ever bothers us. This is not what this says. This is saying that no matter what is coming at you, he is with you and he can handle it if you'll let him. He can handle it. It's not how much we can handle, it's how much he can handle. It's about how hard we lean into him. He often will let us fail because he wants us to grow up. He wants us to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When Mark was growing up, his mom was a -a three-pack-a-day smoker, and she struggled repeatedly to quit. We inherited her journals when she died, and over and over again, like every six weeks, we would hear her say, I'm quitting smoking tomorrow. But her resolutions were broken again and again as she failed. It was a horrible addiction. Well, her neighbor had given her a great controversy, but the neighbor was a horrible witness because she was very haughty. And so Betty refused to read the great controversy because she didn't like her neighbor. But one day Betty was so sick that she couldn't make it to the library and there was nothing else in her house to read. And as she read the Great Controversy, she understood the power of God. And she, this glimmer of hope came to her I can go to church and find power to live my life. So she went to the Adventist church, she started Bible studies, and pretty soon she and the Bible worker prayed that she would be delivered from her addiction to nicotine. She went home and announced that she had quit smoking. And Mark and his dad, can you guess how they responded to that? They laughed. They had seen her try so many times before. But then the days went by and the weeks went by and she never picked up another cigarette. She had quit smoking and it was undeniably not her willpower but the power of God. It was the first glimmer of faith as Mark watched his mom that eventually led to his conversion. He had seen his mother struggle so many times, and the fact that she now could do this difficult thing meant there must be a God. Betty begged Mark to take studies too, and eventually he agreed. If God only gave us what we could handle, we wouldn't need him. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Betty called upon him, he delivered her, and her victory glorified him. And it was a bigger victory because of all those years of struggling. When we discover how helpless we are and how strong he is, we will not only find our knees, we will be face down. We can say, I need help. I cannot do this alone. This says there will be a way of escape. Is that a fire escape? Is that a stop smoking program? Is that a stop sinning program? Is it the 12 steps? I could name a thousand ways that God helps us. But, but, really, the way of escape is Jesus. He is our way of escape. When Jesus faced off the devil, he used scripture. So if we're going to face off the devil, we got to do it how he did. He is the way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14. And that's really helpful to know. You will never, ever face a successful Navigate successfully a temptation without Jesus' help. So where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven, and what is he doing in heaven? He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. But where else is Jesus right now? He's in our hearts. He is strengthening us with power through his spirit in your inner being, in our inner beings. So he's in heaven praying for us, and he's through his spirit living in our hearts right now. So if he's in your heart and you get into a compromising heart situation, how far does your prayer have to go? Not very far. He's already right there. Everywhere you go, he goes too if he's in your heart. Everywhere you go, you have a spiritual bodyguard just ready to get out and fight for you. You never go anywhere without him. My friends, God's unfailing love for you is not dependent on your victory over temptation, but your happiness, your witness, and your fulfillment to your life's purpose is kind of dependent on you doing things his way. He's not only faithful at providing the way out, he's faithful to forgive, and he's faithful to cleanse. He is faithful. So when you're too tired, and you're so broken, and you're too much of a failure, and you're too weak to hold on to him, he says, I will uphold you. Let me hold on to you when you're too tired to hold on to me. God gives us all do-overs, like Mark's mom. And when we struggle, that's not the end of the story. It only makes our testimony all the more compelling when he finally gives us the strength to succeed. He is at work to will and to do his good pleasure. Gladys Aylward was a missionary to China she had a hundred orphans in the orphanage that she led. And it was World War II, and the Japanese were nearing her orphanage. She not only fled, but she took a hundred little people with her. What are the chances of keeping a hundred little people quiet? They had to go across a dangerous mountain pass to safety, She fled war-torn Manching, not knowing how she would feed these kids, not knowing how she would protect these kids or transport them where they needed to go for safety. So she's in the mountains with these 100 little people, and she didn't sleep that night. And when she got up in the morning, she just felt the weight, the gravity of her situation upon her. But there was a 13-year-old girl that had grown up in her orphanage, and she came to Gladys, and she gently reminded her of the story of Moses fleeing Pharaoh at the Red Sea, boxed in with nowhere to go, with the Egyptians coming right for them. Gladys said, I am not Moses. Of course not, said the girl, but Jehovah is still God. He is faithful. If you trust him, he will show you. He will be your way out. He will deliver you, and you will glorify him. So when temptations come your way, ask him for help, and he will hold you fast.